Well, praise the Lord. Um, you know, yeah, she may have uh, spotted me first, but uh, yeah, we definitely, the Lord has blessed me with a wonderful wife, and I am so thankful for all the Lord has allowed us to do together. Um, you know, I was joking with, uh, actually with Brother Frankie before uh, the service, and uh, I said, now, you know, me and Brother Paul have to follow you, so don't preach too good. But um, I think Brother Paul and me need to have a talk with you outside afterwards. That's kind of what I'm saying. You know? but, no, in all honesty, it was, a, it was a tremendous message, praise the Lord. And uh, I remember uh, in, it was about the mid-90s when my dad started to notice the missionaries and the pastors he was rubbing shoulders with when he would come back with the product of BBC. Uh, just it started to change, and he started to realize that, uh, that um, it, it meant it was first in the preaching. It was always first in the preaching. And so every time I come back to the States and I get the opportunity to see the, uh, what the Lord is doing through the recent fruit of Heartland Baptist Bible College, it just gives me a, a sense of encouragement. And I really am thankful that, you know, statistically speaking, it may come someday where, you know, every any institution that uh, man uh, has any say over tends to go wayward at some point. But, uh, the, but it's thankful. I'm just thankful that the Lord has, uh, has allowed that, at least up to this point. I continue to be encouraged with what I see in the student body as well as, uh, you know, the recent fruit. So that is, uh, thank you for that message. Uh, let's turn to uh, Jonah chapter number four, if you would. And you can go ahead and stand right away. We'll get right into the uh, reading of the word of God. It's Jonah chapter four. We're going to read the entirety of the chapter. It's only 11 verses. So I think our, our legs will handle it. All right, uh, Jonah chapter number four. I love the, uh, just there are certain parts of the Bible where uh, God has a conversation with somebody. And uh, I think of Job, I think of the burning bush at Moses, where you just, even in the Old Testament, where there's a lot of just kind of factual representation of who God is, I love seeing the dialogue, and uh, it just gives you a unique perspective. So, um, honestly, the title of the message today is actually a talk with Dad. <laughs> and I'm not being, I'm try, I hope you understand, I'm not being irreverent with that, but uh, you think of the Old Testament, most of the passages and, uh, and the books of the Old Testament picture God as in His righteousness and His judgment. He would be more a father figure. And then in the New Testament, he's represented to us as Abba Father, our, our Lord, our Dad. You know, someone a lot closer. But there are glimpses in the Old Testament of God as, of our Father as kind of a dad. And I believe with us to be one of those, uh, one of those spots. Likewise, there are instances in the New Testament. Uh, you think of Romans 1, you think of the book of James, where uh, God is, it gets serious as well. So, I mean, I think it's a proper understanding of both these roles of our Father uh, in heaven is, is important. So, uh, hopefully you found your place by now. We'll begin reading in Jonah chapter number 4 and verse number 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in mine country? Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and a merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Then said the Lord, doest thou well to be angry? So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth, and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. 
And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah, that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day, and it smote the gourd, gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah that he fainted, and wished in himself to die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry. He answers the Lord this time, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in a night, and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than sixscore thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. So uh, Jonah, he's about everything that a, a missionary shouldn't be. But he is, he was a missionary, and, uh, but the reason he got off is because he was focused on the wrong harvest. He was focused on the wrong harvest. So let's uh, have a word of prayer and, the, and uh, ask the Lord's blessing on the, uh, blessing on the message. Our most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word and for this place and all it represents. Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts today. I pray that your, your heart would... Be in us, Lord, that we would see from your perspective, and it might change our perspective if it needs to be. Lord, I, I just pray that you would bless the reading of your word and the message to follow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you for standing. See, there were two harvests at this point. God raised up a gourd. There was a, there was a harvest there. And uh, that's, the, that's the harvest that Jonah was excited about. And it's very evident that uh, he wanted the harvest, the, the, the mission, so to speak, to go his way. Of course, we all know the story of Jonah, how God called him to go, and he ran the other way. Which that, uh, that really, as I started to study this book recently, again, it's, it, it had a new meaning for me. Because I, I just really, you know, because I know so many missionaries, I bumped into them throughout this past year. Missionaries that are dying to get back to the field. And here we have a man with a calling and opportunity to go when he wanted to do anything but get back to the field. And so it's just there's so many parallels, uh, really opposites of what, uh, of what should be. And yet what is so surprising to me that no matter how many wrong moves Jonah made, God kept talking. God still spoke to him. I expect, if I were the Lord, honestly, just being honest, I would have given up on Jonah uh, after, okay, maybe, the, maybe going through the great fish and, okay, salvation of the Lord, okay, there's some repentance. But as soon as he started to show a bad attitude, I'd be like, okay, that's it. We're done. You know, there's, there's plenty of prophets down in Judah I can pick. To, it's a little further, but they can come on up here. I can work with that because we're, we're just done. But that's, that's not how our Lord thinks. God sees a different from a per different perspective than man does. Man sees one thing, God sees another. And that's really what we see here in the book of Jonah. We see a dialogue that shows what does Jonah see and what does God see. And it's very important that we understand that it is his harvest. So often I've actually heard it said that there is a harvest. It is the harvest. We're going into the harvest. But... The verse says it's into his harvest, 
Meaning that we are not supposed to look at it as a field. And I'm not opposed to calling it the field. I say I'm going back to the field. But really, that's what man sees. Man sees the field. Sees the work. Sees everything that may or may not be. But God is all-knowing in his scope of what, what, what will happen, what has happened. He sees that little sapling from the time it was a seed to the time that it is ripe unto harvest. He sees in one moment of time, he sees all of the history. I noticed that uh, the, you have a sign uh, in the nursery hanging that every child is a story yet to be told. And I, I, thought, I got to thinking about that. I was like, that, that, that's great because that is God's perspective. And it's a good reminder that we need to try as often as possible to not confine ourselves with time and space because we serve a God who doesn't get uh, wrapped up in that. He is not bound by time or space. He sees every story from the beginning to the end. He knows exactly the potential. He knows what is going on. And, and, but we are so prone as God's people even to get focused on the here and now. But it is so amazing that our God, even though he can see everything, he is so patient, kind, and long-suffering that he would really stoop to have a conversation, really a meaningless conversation, because to him it is so obvious the truth of it all. And yet he takes the time to try and educate a wayward servant of his. It just shows the heart of God, not just for the people of Nineveh, although he obviously he had his eye on that harvest more than anything. He was also very concerned about his servant Jonah. And really his heart for Jonah was the exact same heart that he had for the harvest. Even though one was his child and one was uh, the potential to be his children, he had the same heart. He has the same soft spot for all of us. And again, I hope you don't think I'm being irreverent when I say that God has a soft spot in his heart. And it's always accessed. That soft spot, is, a soft spot is always accessed the same way. It's the same way where most dads, soft spot is accessed. I remember uh, the first time when I came home and JD got old enough to recognize that I had been gone and now I was back. And I, I watched as, he, as I came through the door and usually he just didn't even notice. But this time he, he stood up. And he just smiled when he saw me, came running at me, just grabbed, my, grabbed me and gave me a hug. And I was like, wow, I had not felt that heretofore. And it was, it was an amazing thing. And uh, I mean, that was the first day he had coffee because he asked for it. And, you know, I was just in a really good mood. So some of you are thinking, well, I can't believe that. Yeah, yeah. But it just, it happened. You know, it's what I had and he wanted it. And. We were in good mood. We had a good relationship that day. <laughs> but you see that that soft spot is accessed when we come to God. Because God knows we're going to mess up. He knows us from the beginning to the end. As God, get, he, he hates sin and he gets angry at sin. But he... he Sin to us, we look at it and sin is, oh, that's something we shouldn't do. That's something that much of the world, man looks at sin and says, oh, that's something that's going to make God mad. But really, God doesn't just see sin as an affront to him. He sees sin as an opportunity for repentance. See, God doesn't just see the sin. He looks further. 
He understands what is possible. And that is the key to understanding his harvest. I remember when uh, we were in Russia, I was, uh, we were, it was uh, the second trip to the reindeer people. I, uh, my, my dad was still in the field at that time, and we had gone uh, out to the reindeer people, and then we split into two groups. He took the tank, his dad loved the tank. Yeah, you've, heard, you've all heard the tank story. And he was the dad, so he got to pick the cool, the cool vehicle. Um, but, you know, I, I led the other, uh, the second group, and we took a helicopter. My vehicle was not near as exciting, well, it was exciting, but in a very different way. Uh, because when at first we were on the landing platform and uh, those blades started to wear up, we went up about five feet and then we completely free fall down and drop. And uh, then the engine made a weird noise and I heard a bunch of Russian uh, words I will not repeat from the pilot and the co-pilot. And I was like, I think something's going wrong here. <laughs> I did not believe in that moment I should remain on that vehicle. Um, but. But he, you know, they flipped some buttons, and then we got up and out of it, out of there the next time. And this, this is a helicopter. I, I mean, I was on the side. I felt like I was an old Russian Soviet army man. I mean, I'm just sitting there, on the side, got our bags, and uh, and that's the only way we could get up north to where we had heard there were these reindeer people in Novoport. So we went through a lot of. Uh, a lot of stuff to get to these people. And I remember the very first person we talked to, we went and talked to the mayor, we got a, uh, of the town, I mean, it's uh, 400 people. That's all that live in this, but uh, in this town as far as permanent residents, but the reindeer people tend to come and trade. And so we, uh, we were wanting to meet with the reindeer people. And I remember the first reindeer person uh, that came into town that when we had got settled in our, uh, I call it a, the hotel, but it was really just a, an old uh, gas tank that they had uh, converted into a house. Uh, they had just pulled it off of the boat and they said, hey, this will make shelter. And so that was, uh, that was our hotel room. Uh, but I remember somebody heard, one of the reindeer people had heard there were Americans in town came. So we got this knock at the door and we invited this man in. We told him about Christ, about, uh, about uh, you know, just kind of went from the beginning to end, trying to really explain the gospel to him. I was with another uh, elder, uh, elderly gentleman. He was 76 years old when God called him to come to Russia. And so he came along and helped uh, with my dad. He was a, a retired army, army man. Uh, his name was Glenn Sanders, and he was from Oak Harbor, Washington. And my dad was preaching, uh, and he said, I, we need to go to Russia. And so he came to Russia, was a help for a few years before the Lord took him. Uh, Lord took him home. Just a, a wonderful man, but uh, he, we were up there, and he didn't speak any Russian, uh, but he said, we need to invite this man, and he said, we need to witness to him. So when we start, uh, he wanted, he, he started uh, witnessing to this man. I, we, tra I translated everything for him, um, adding things as needed, and the man, he was just, he, he said, okay, I want to do that. And we're like, well, amen. Yeah, this is great. And so he, he prayed the prayer, and um, then he, when it was all said and done, he gives us a, a smile and a hug and he says, can I have a hundred rubles? I just really need some bread. And, uh, you know, Brother Sanders, he, he, he said, um, you know, we typically didn't do that. Uh, we, it was, we would try to, uh, didn't want it immediately to go to finances, uh, but, uh, there was wisdom in that. But Brother Sanders just really had a heart for this guy and he said, oh, well, my own money, I'm going to do that. So he gave him a hundred rubles and... So then we went out and started meeting some of the other men and the uh, men and ladies, tried to meet some people. We came back that evening and right there at the, at the steps of our little tankard, there was a, 
uh, that man was sitting there and he was very obviously intoxicated. Uh, he had uh, taken that money and uh, purchased some alcohol. And, uh, but it was interesting to note, I, I saw it and there was a Russian pastor uh, along with me. We looked at that and yeah, he's just like, yeah, I knew this was gonna happen. I was like, yeah, I kind of expected the same, you know. And, uh, but Brother Sanders, I mean, he was just so broken over it. Uh, he just realized that he, he, but then we started talking to that man and uh, we could, you know, he was, he just felt so guilty. He tried to give us his boots in payment because he was, he, and uh, you know, he had started to sober up a little bit. We got him, uh, tried to just deal with him. And then afterwards he said, hi, I don't know what happened. It's like, I went to go do this. I've done this a hundred times. But this time when I, when I went and got drank that, I knew I was doing something wrong. And I just didn't want to do this anymore. So he's like, I want to, get, I want to pay, back, pay you back. I just, I know that something wasn't right in what happened there. And, and I, I remember being just so shocked. Because we had, in Russia, you just, you tend to deal with intoxicated individuals. That is their, their vice. And, and I, I remember when I saw him standing on that steps, I thought, I saw, man saw a drunk. But Brother Sanders and God, they saw a harvest. And I remember the perspective, how it just switched. And he came back every single day to every meeting we had in that town. By the end, he was one of our best friends. Just, uh, and this was, I, I thought this was just going to crush Brother Sanders. I'm like, what am I going to tell him? And it's amazing how God can just turn a situation around that you think is, okay, absolutely hopeless. Now, I don't, I don't advise you go giving out money to. <laughs> that, 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 that was an exception, but the Lord had spoken to Brother Sanders. Brother Sanders did it, and the Lord worked it out. Because God sees the whole story. When Jonah went to Nineveh, he saw Assyrians. He saw this nation who for years had been raiding they had been raiding his people. Jonah was a, he was a prophet of the northern kingdom. He was from Israel. And this was the same Israel that within 40 to 50 years, scholars believe Assyria took out, took out Israel. They took out the northern kingdom. So within 40 to 50 years from this point, these same people that are bowing in sackcloth and ashes will wipe out the northern kingdom and take them into captivity. It puts a different perspective on things. Because Jonah, he understood that these were not good people. But when you look at the history of it, it was almost like he was right. He sh these people shouldn't have been trusted. Because this was a short-term revival. In fact, we look at the last verse here. It says, And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? says there are 120,000 people here who can't tell their right hand from their left hand. Now, scholars are pretty uh, divided in what that means. You know, archaeologists have found the city of Nineveh. They think, oh, probably not more than 120,000 people could have lived there. But others... Say, no, that, you know, that's just part of the city we found. If you included all the outskirts and everything that would have existed at that time, then it could have been closer to 500,000, 600,000. People look at this, oh, well, it says 120,000, so it must have been 120,000. But you look, if you look further, it says 120,000 people that cannot be discern, discern between their right hand and their left hand. Now, there are times when you could see, okay, well, that's a spiritual reference. They don't understand right from wrong. 
Okay, yeah, you could look at that. But then why does God and say, say, and also much cattle? That, that's the point that it's, God is talking not figurative. He's talking literally here. And who is the literal population of society who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand? It's going to be kids about to the age of five. And the disabled, handicapped, those who really had done nothing to hurt Jonah or his people. They had no say over what was going on. And uh, Jonah saw the Assyrians. He saw a wicked and evil nation. But God saw the innocence. God saw the potential. God saw the harvest. God also saw that those kids would grow up to most likely be the ones. They would have been in that army that took out. And then I look back at my own life and how many times I've fallen after God saved me. And I'm glad that even though God knows the whole story, He can see the future. He's willing to kind of block that out. And it's as if when people come to God in repentance, it's as if, even though He's seen the whole story, He, he blocks everything out and he, he enters time and space and focuses on that one moment. And He just enjoys that moment. When a sinner comes before him in repentance, we see that in the New Testament in Luke chapter 15, where it's described, there's joy in heaven. Well, heaven is a place that's the realm of God. They don't live in time and space. They don't understand the linear time. So wait, there's, but it's as if God makes heaven subject to time and space whenever a sinner repents. So they can joy in that moment along with him. That somebody's come to me. I didn't really understand that until I became a dad. And I remember when JD came running to me that first time and gave me a big hug and was just happy to see me. And I could tell in his eyes that I was the greatest thing in the world at that moment. And I wish that feeling could last forever. <laughs> I was very happy to enjoy and relish that moment. And that is God when it comes to repentance. So yes, throughout the Old Testament, you see God, a God of justice, judgment, his precepts and his, and his law is very evident. He is definitely God, Father, Almighty, uh, he, Almighty God, Elohim, the, the self-existent one. Lord Sabaoth, it's, uh, um, it's Jehovah Sabaoth, which is the, the Lord Most High. He is explained and described as this God who, who controls everything and he's greater than everything anything you might come up with. So we need to honor and reverence him. And he has a very strict no tolerance policy when it comes to sin and when it comes to disrespecting him. We see that very evidently through the Old Testament. And yet we have these moments when God has a conversation with an individual where he allows his softer side to come through. And in every one of those situations, including Jonah, Job, David, when that part of God is, is let out and, he, and we see his softer side, it always is preceded by somebody coming to him in repentance. See, when Jonah was upset in the belly of the whale, it took him three whole days to get over that temper tantrum. And he says, salvation is of the Lord. Just a little bit of repentance, and God said, okay, 
we can use you. Let's, we'll use you again. Until he gets to the gourd. He starts getting wrapped up in the wrong harvest. He's loving on this gourd and saying, this is such the greatest thing. And then God, the Father, comes out and he's like, okay, I'll show you. And he takes that gourd down. And, but then Jonah, he just starts, he starts to come to the end of himself again. He's like, I'm ready to die. I'm done. I'm done. And then we see the very last verse. This is interesting because the first time I read the book of Jonah, I was looking for like the torn out page. It's almost as if, well, well where's the answer? What's going on here? It's very unique. And yet God is, I, I almost think he's moving on from Jonah and saying, this is my question to everyone who might relate with Jonah. Because even though Jonah was, you know, he was a bad missionary. <laughs> Just put it plainly. As far as he didn't have the right attitude when it came to it, came down to it. But the Lord still is trying to the very end to get him to understand. Look at my harvest. Look at this the way I see it. And when he, and that's how he leaves it. It's as, if, it's as if he turns from the audience being Jonah, just to talk with dad, and he's talking with everybody else who might call him Heavenly Father and say, what do you see? Man saw a wicked nation. God saw a harvest. There's a lot of things we see differently than God sees. Man sees this as a coronavirus super spreader event. God sees this as his children not, forsake, not forsaking the assembling of themselves together as the manner of some is. Man sees this nation as woke, going down a better path. But God looks in sorrow at this nation and sees America becoming more of a harvest field each and with each passing year. One of the unique abilities we had in Russia, coming back and just growing up pretty much my entire life there, Every, we'd see snapshots of America. And over time, we've seen this country get, pick up more and more characteristics of a lost nation. And we can look at that and get depressed and say, wow. We see backsliding, but God sees a harvest. I haven't heard the trumpet sound yet. God still has a plan. There's still hope. But it's going to take us to stop getting focused on the way we see things. Jonah got wrapped up in a gourd. What is it that you're getting wrapped up in? Some distraction that the devil is more than happy to just keep putting in front, at the forefront of your mind. Because he knows you're never going to see the Lord's harvest that's all around you as long as you're looking at this gourd. It comes down to seeing it his way. He is the Lord of the harvest. It is his harvest. So let's start looking at it that way. And you might be struggling, like Brother Frankie said. I could never do what you do. Well, is that your gourd? Is that that doubt and fear? Is that what you're seeing? Instead of allowing the Lord to just prick your heart. This is a great week to start paying attention. 
If you're willing to let the Lord chop down that gourd and start looking down at the city where the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. You need to get rid of that gourd so you can start seeing things from God's perspective. God showed a part of his heart, a unique opportunity here in, in Jonah. Where we got to get to see Lord Saboeth, Most High God, having a conversation with a wayward servant. And he gets rid of the gourd and says, look at my harvest. May God help us all to do the same. Because it will help us.